Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program that looks at a range of different ways we get around from cars, buses, trains and planes. I'm David Brown and in this program we have new stories including a new Nissan Leaf electric vehicle, the E+, has been launched onto our market, plus we touch on the MGHS and the Mazda MX-5. We have an interview about Cash for Clunkers, a French government program to pay you to scrap your old polluting car, but not to buy another car. In feedback, I continue to have trouble with tyres, and I was recently interviewed about electric vehicles. We road test the Subaru XV, and in quirky news, Brian Smith discusses what the Japanese want you to do in a service station toilet to see if you are too tired to drive. You can find more information at drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on Spotify or iTunes. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Overdrive City. So let's begin the program with the news. We saw the first Mazda MX-5 way back in 1989 at the Chicago Motor Show. There have been a number of cosmetic changes over the years, but it remains a front-engined, rear-wheel-drive roadster. Does the latest version have modern technology? Um, Perhaps do we want it to? It has improved handling and power and safety features, but it is still an authentic, long-nosed, short-cabin and stubby-tail sports car. It has a manual gearbox and a manual handbrake, so you have to do your own hill starts. The gear lever is short and sharp and with a feel of mechanical linkages. The engine revs out to 8,500 revs and sounds like it's enjoying itself. I didn't think about the practicality, I just loved the drive. Prices start at $36,000 and go all the way up to a bit over $51,000 plus on-road costs. MG is rocketing up the sales chart, is now in the top 10 manufacturers in Australia. They are very strong in small cars and small SUVs, but their medium-sized SUV, the HS, is not yet as dominant in its category, competing against traditional models such as the Toyota RAV4, the Mazda CX-5 and the Nissan X-Trail. We tested the base model HS and first impressions were impressive with a big infotainment screen and strong performance from a 1.5 litre turbo engine and 10 active safety features across all the models. The 7 speed dual clutch gearbox works well when you are up and running but feels like it has to take up some slack whenever you start out in slow traffic. The HS also has several four wheel drive variants. 5-star crash rating and a 7-year unlimited kilometre warranty, it is well-priced, starting at $30,000 drive away, up to $43,000. A new version of the Nissan Leaf electric vehicle, the E+, has been launched onto the Australian market. The existing model remains, but the E+, as the name suggests, has enhanced features mainly to do with power. The battery capacity is increased by 55% to 62 kilowatt hours, but without taking much more room. Nissan is even reporting a 0 to 100 kilometer an hour time of just 6.9 seconds. Range is increased to 385 kilometers, an addition of 115 kilometers over the base model. 
This is well above a Mini Electric, but nearly 100 kilometres behind the Hyundai Ioniq 5. The Nissan E-Plus can charge more efficiently. For example, it can charge from 20 to 80% in just 45 minutes, despite the larger battery storage capacity. The Nissan Leaf is priced from $50,000 and the E-Plus is priced at $60,500 plus on-road costs. In the 70s, the Japanese car makers made many features standard to cut down on the cost of having many options. But the re-emerging Spanish luxury brand Hispano Suiza sees a more modern push to allow you to customise the interior and exterior of their Carmen supercar. You have exclusivity already as they will only be making 19 Carmens, 5 will be the standard Bologna version. For the rest you can make use of their unique tailor-made program to permit it to be, they say, almost infinitely customisable. Variations in the exterior parts include the grill, review mirrors, body colour, wheels and air intakes, and in the interior you can choose different options and colours for the steering wheel, dashboard, upholstery or floor mats. There is one other way to help this all-electric supercar become exclusive. The pricing starts at about $2.8 million each. And that has been the news. We've often seen environmentally intended policies of cash for clunkers where governments fund buying your old clunker that pollutes rather highly. The assumption then is that perhaps you might buy a more modern car. But what if you were to buy even something better that was not a modern car but a modern, less environmentally intrusive device such as a bicycle? Brian Smith, our transport planner extraordinaire, is on the line. G'day, Brian. G'day, David. Now, now what's France doing? Well, France has got a, a pretty strong um, greenhouse gas emission target uh, of 40% by 2030 in a, in a bill that's before lawmakers in the National Assembly at the moment. And one of the elements of that bill involves, as you mentioned, a cash for clunkers um scheme, except it's sort of a, a grant for clunkers. So basically, if you um, hand over your old uh, internal combustion engine vehicle, um, France, the French government will give you a grant of uh, two and a half thousand euros, so it's about four thousand Australian dollars, to um, to buy an electric bicycle. And so this is a neat idea. You know, I just tested the scooter the Bird Scooter. They're bringing it in as part of a shared scooter program. They've done it overseas. Uh, I rode on the thing. Great fun, really. But I interviewed the guy about it in in an old pub in inner city Sydney. Now, it's not just a rough old pub now. It's a cafe and restaurant. A little bit certainly more upmarket. Wouldn't it be good if we were encouraging local business by just being able to get to them more easily and without having to think, well, if I if I get in the car, I might as well drive 10 kilometres to go to a discount place. Do you know what I mean? There's a huge pressure to support local businesses. I think this might be one way of enhancing that. There is a fair bit of evidence that says that, uh, uh, you know, a, a shop that's alongside a, um, a cycle lane um, performs better. They, their revenue increases compared with uh, having curbside car parking. My neighbours, um, each 
sort of rented for about a three-month period uh, e-bikes and have been zooming around on them. Mm. Okay. Are they thinking of progressing to buying one? Well, look, uh, I think if they if they plan to hold on to it, it would be more of that sort of lease arrangement mm. than than owning one. The uh, the company that offers it um, provides uh, servicing and repairs and all those sorts of things as part of it. Um, so it's a, it's a much more convenient arrangement potentially they, than, than owning your own bike. They lease it for you know their sole purpose, their their sole use in over the three month period, or do they just lease it like? One of these go get cars when they no, need for it. sole use. Yes, yeah, sole use. So you do helmet, the bicycle. It's yours for a period of time. In fact, um, they're set up as well to support uh, some of those delivery riders that you see, Deliveroo and Uber. Um, so they have different va- variants of e-bikes for different purposes. I like the fact that there's a raft of what is really minor legislative goals. It's not necessarily these grand plans. You're right. It's not about completely replacing one lifestyle. And this was the, the frustrating thing about the the, uh, the sort of Abbott government's nonsense about the, the death of the weekend, you know, oh, the, yeah, yeah. And, and how terrible electric vehicles would be. Completely wrong, right? I also like the idea, as I mentioned in the introduction, that they're not just selling your clunker, you're actually buying an alternative to a motor car. A number of private industries have gone into it. I've got some colleagues in the Transport Mutual Credit Union who'll give you a higher discount if you buy an electric car, or they were giving zero, I don't know if they still are, giving zero interest loans if you're buying a bicycle. Hmm. I thought that, you know, it's just a number of, uh, apart from the government, a number of people are, and businesses are actually trying to do it, not just for business purposes, because it's the right thing to do. Encouraging moves, David. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I totally agree with you. And look, I've got to ask, I get asked this question a lot on radio. You know, well, what about the trip to Melbourne or what about towing? And my point is, hang on, we're the most urbanised country in the, you know, one of them in the world. You know, a huge number of cars don't do that. A huge number of people don't do that. It's like average 30 kilometres, isn't it? Something like that. Yeah. Well, the average car does about 300, less than 300 kilometres a week. Go around many areas and look at cars, and A, they don't have a tow bar, and B, they're not ones that are are made to go Sydney to Melbourne. Now, what we might do, and we'll talk later about that, is from a psychological point of view, encourage people, if they really think that, on a small number of people, Get yourself a plug-in hybrid, which acts yes, as an, yes. an, a as a a battery car in an in an urban area. But if when the battery runs out, then the petrol car comes in. Now, Best I'm not suggesting that's a long-term solution, but it may well be one of the psychological barriers that we try and break down of this nonsense that we're a different. You know, we've got this country of everyone travels huge distances; they don't. And and the horses for courses. Yes, indeed. Hmm. All right, Brian, lovely to talk to you. We might have a more quirky news story later in the program. Thanks. Thanks, David. You're listening to Overdrive. I don't know who or if there is a patron saint of tyres, but I think I may have offended him or her. Last week I reported on a flat I had with the electric mini I was testing. This week it has been a slowly deflating tyre on a Volkswagen multivan. 
I woke up one morning to see the front left tyre flat. Like the Mini, the multivan doesn't have a spare, and like the Mini, it has a kit that can pump up the tyre and, if you want, fill it with goo to seal small leaks. I nearly did that, but then decided to get roadside assistance. Now, the mechanic arrived within the hour, but was horrified to think that I might have used the goo. He said, save it in case you need it in the country. In urban areas, it's better to get assistance, he said, even if you have to have the vehicle towed. He pumped the tyre up and it seemed to hold pressure. We assumed it might have been let down by some mischievous youth. I drove it quite a bit, but realised it was losing pressure very slowly. It was at that stage that I really liked having a pump in the car. It runs, of course, off the cigarette lighter power socket. The reason was that I stopped at several service stations to find that they did not have tyre pressure systems. One had even been removed because it was a Sunday and it belonged to the mechanic whose shop was shut. So I stopped on the side of the road on a number of occasions just to make sure I got home without lowering the pressure to any significant amount. It's also helpful to have such a system at home to be able to check the pressure of your own car and add a bit as needed rather than queue up at a service station where even if you have a pressure system, it's rarely conveniently placed. I've heard it said that charging an electric vehicle at home is one of the benefits that EV owners enjoy, rather than hunting for a cheap petrol station. You're listening to Overdrive. Kia updated their Stinger in December 2020 with safety and convenience features. I drove a Micro Blue 200 GT with red Napa leather, a stylish combination. The main improvements over some subtle evolutionary style changes are the new 10.25 inch infotainment system with Bluetooth multi-connectivity, improved safety features including cyclist detection, and the in-dash blind spot cameras that appear when the indicators are activated. Stinger 200 GT is powered by a 2 litre turbo 4 cylinder engine, produces 182 kilowatts of power with 353 newton metres of torque. The 200 GT will run from 0 to 106 seconds, and which is still relatively quick. However, it's the everyday driving that makes the Stinger so brilliant. It will happily potter along at 50 kilometres an hour around town, yet find a twisty road or the freeway, and it will lift its skirt and sprint away, providing excellent driver engagement. Stinger 200 GT is priced from around $57,730 plus the usual costs. I'm Rob Fraser. This is Overdrive across Australia. Now, on another subject, I was recorded the other day in an interview for the Briefing podcast, a current affairs podcast in Australia that includes news items and more detailed segments on major issues. I was asked about electric vehicles. The issue of travelling long distances was raised. My point is that many vehicles in their lifetime don't travel long distances. Australia is one of the most urbanised countries in the world. The average car does less than 300 kilometres a week. Now, while some politicians and political parties are pushing for more sustainable transport, and I applaud that, they make the mistake of mirroring the us-and-them approach of climate change deniers. Now, at the moment, I cannot travel a long distance in an electric vehicle as easily as a fossil fuel vehicle. Therefore, some people conclude, electric vehicles are no good anywhere. 
Even setting a target of 50% electric vehicles by a certain year evokes rants about how no one is going to force me to do anything. Well, it's not all or nothing, and the progress we will make in terms of electric car development will overcome most, if not all, of the needs that we have. Now, the question I often get is, what about towing? Well, electric vehicles can be fine for towing. The biggest dump trucks in the world power the wheels by electric motors. But at the moment, we do not have in Australia electric vehicles that are designed to maximise towing capacity, but they are being designed and built. Even Hummer is making an electric ute. As you drive around the streets, have a look at how many cars don't have a tow bar. So it's horses for courses. For the long distances, I am pushing that we might accept plug-in hybrid vehicles as an interim, really to overcome this image we have of the great outdoors and how Australia needs this and how Australia needs to be able to serve these type of vehicles. Well, some do. The interviewer on the briefing said, well, really, it's often very psychological. And I think that perhaps that's a major point. You're listening to Overdrive. Well, the small SUV market is booming. The sales so far this year are up 28% in a market that's not up quite that much, although it is bounding back a bit. There's some new players on the market and there's some oldies but goodies. And to talk about one of those oldies but goodies, but with more updated versions, is our good friend Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys. G'day, Alan. Thanks, David. Uh, another oldie but a goodie. <laughs> <laughs> I was referring to the car, but the application <laughs> might go both ways to you and to me. Oh, bless. Alan, the Subaru XV, has it been upgraded? It's had a couple of little nips and tucks along the way, but look, essentially, this is the same car that was released a little while ago that you and I went to the launch of. The thing that I like is the very efficient use of space. So you get inside and even the back seat passengers, even though the rear cabin is quite snug, mm. there's plenty of room for your feet, plenty of room for your knees, and it's just a well-designed car. And the one I had was plasma pearl yellow. Pearl yellow? Mm. Is that strong? a strong yellow? Hmm. Think baby poo. Oh, Okay. But meanwhile, you'd have had a lot of other fun. They've got uh, all of the safety tech, uh, lane control, lane centering and so forth, uh, automatic steering to keep you inside the lanes, uh, and, of course, the autonomous emergency braking, uh, which they demonstrated in the quarry, that also works in reverse. Yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? I've backed into a few things in my time. I've always thought a camera was a good idea, but even something that will uh, intervene when you're being utterly stupid I think is uh, particularly helpful. It has all-wheel drive, permanent all-wheel drive, and is competent off-road. It is. Uh, not only is it permanent all-wheel drive, and it does shunt power back and forward as needed, but it's also symmetrical all-wheel drive, and I think that's an important thing. So the wheels either side do the same thing. How would you describe the interior? I'd describe it as typically Subaru. So you do have to like this interior. It's not... Um, plain like a say a Volkswagen or, or an Audi it's there's quite a lot of lines going on and the infotainment system 
is one of my bugbears. It's set over three different screens, so a little one in front of the driver, another little one at the top of the dash, and then the main one. Does it uh, have enough power? I find it a little bit breathy, and part of that is the CVTs, the automatic transmission, that uh, doesn't have any gears. But Subaru is one of the better ones, and it does simulate gears if you really stick the boot in. What's the engine? 115 kilowatts and uh, 196 newton metres. Look, it's it's no powerhouse. It's not going to win any land speed records, but I think it's more than enough for most people's daily use. And it would sit on the speed limit comfortably anyway. Very comfortably. I did notice yesterday when I took it out that uh, on the highway it had no trouble keeping up with anything else, but overtaking definitely, even with the SI drive engaged, uh, did take a little bit of planning. You've really got to get stuck in early. These uh, SUVs are a way of companies, I think, being able to charge a bit more. What's it worth? Well, they start at 29690 and that is a two-litre all-wheel drive auto. Uh, they all have the same engine, so I think we need to keep that in mind, except for the two models that have hybrid. And the top one ranges to uh, 40790 Getting up around the 30,000, I think an MG would more start around the low 20s, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, but again, I and I thought this about MGs when they first started making those, when that uh, Chinese company first bought the British brand, the cars seemed distinctly cheap and the technology was slightly old-fashioned and the metal was extremely thin, like Hyundai's were when they first started. I've been driving the HS and I hopped in it. I was, I was wonderfully surprised by it, but then a few things niggled. We'll come to that next week. All right, Alan, the XV, a great little inner city, but with SUV capability, even four-wheel drive capability, that's not adverse to coping with a certain amount of rough stuff. And getting you to your cosy, charismatic country cottage on weekends. I wish I had have said that. Alan. <laughs> Put your teeth in and give it a whack. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. Thanks, David. And that's Alan Service from Gay Carboys, who is a regular reviewer here on Overdrive. You're listening to Overdrive. Launched in December 2020, the Hyundai Palisade adds to the already extensive SUV range offered by Hyundai. But with a difference, it's big yet well proportioned with dynamics and quietness that belies its size. Palisade comes with two engine options, a 3.8 litre V6 petrol and a 2.2 litre diesel, two drivetrains, either front wheel drive or all wheel drive, seven or eight seat configurations, one eight speed automatic transmission and two specification levels, the Palisade and the Highlander. Inside it looks and feels spacious and luxurious, with even the entry level Palisade being well equipped. Key features are wireless phone charging, smartphone connectivity, 10.25 inch centre screen, 12 speaker infinity premium sound system, air conditioning and airbags for all three rows of seats and a practical seat and luggage arrangement. Pricing is from $60,000 for the entry level Palisade petrol through to $75,000 for the 2.2 litre Highlander plus the usual costs. The sweet spot is probably the diesel or drive Palisade but I must admit to liking all the bling that comes with the Highlander. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. And we're back with Brian Smith, and this time we're talking about toilets. 
and whether they might well be a measure of certain things to do with road safety. Brian, how can this be? Well, it's an interesting idea that comes from Japan, and it's uh, it's this, the idea that you can test your fatigue level at a highway rest stop. And so where you might stop for a, a break to, f- to get something to eat and a cup of coffee and, and uh, go to the toilet, well, you know, there's a couple of, um, of rest stops in Japan now in uh, Kanagawa Prefecture's Ebina Service Centre. Uh, for example, it's about 45 minutes from Tokyo by car. Um, in the toilet, um, they offer you an opportunity to have your um, fatigue tested. Basically, it takes about 60 seconds. You place your hand on a <laughs> on, on a panel. This is uh, disturbing me already, David, and the idea of the <laughs> toilet, placing your hand on anything mm. in a rest stop toilet. Perhaps it's different in Japan. Uh, but basically, um, it, uh, it then goes, uh, it asks you a few questions, um, and even to the extent, do you feel tired, you know, um, you can answer you're not tired or you're, you're somewhat tired, but that doesn't matter. It tests you and it evaluates your um, your uh, your stats and it'll tell you um, your fatigue level, which may surprise you. Quite often we know that people, um, you know, feel that they're less fatigued than they are and uh, and run into a problem later on. Um, the, the system also gives you advice about how to manage your fatigue, for example, you know, you should take a 10 to 20 minute break every two hours when driving and, and, uh, you know, using the service area or parking area to, to, to do, do that. So I think, David, it's an interesting idea that the toilet thing worries me a little bit, but I like the idea of, uh, of informing people about their fatigue levels and, um, being able to possibly help people avoid crashes. Uh, I, I got a bit confused there. You actually put your hand on it. I thought it was when you sat on the toilet. Apparently, they say it is a fatigue state, the inner fatigue state. The tension of the sympathetic nervous system increases and the activity of the parasympathetic nervous system decreases. So this toilet measures the fluctuation in beats and analysis uh, and analyzes the automatic nervous system. I, I thought it was when you actually sat on the toilet, which... Actually, is a good idea, I think, because among other things, to make men sit on the toilet removes that element of inaccuracy that can become so <laughs> angry, you know, can create such anger, which I don't think is good when you're driving. <laughs> I just hoped it wasn't to do with uh, measuring pulses of sound or something. That's what, uh, what worried me. <laughs> well, it could also give you advice about your diet and things like that. I, I believe this opportunities there to do further analysis <laughs> well well actually actually measuring um uh, the, the sewerage system is a great way of measuring a number of things including whether you've got drugs or you've well, taken highway drugs. risk stops like yeah. david in australia um you can imagine imagine testing for drugs uh at, at um, some of those mm. be quite surprising results um uh, I think one of the things we see often alongside of highways, uh, certainly in Australia and I know in the US, is is uh, drink bottles that seem to be filled with uh, some kind of liquid um, you know, that have been left on the side of the road, thrown out of the window of a truck. So um, there was recently actually a, a, quite a bit of controversy about Amazon. I'm not sure if you saw this, David, where um, somebody raised the 
the issue of Amazon drivers not receiving enough time, uh, break time, and having to to urinate in uh, bottles. Mm. And Amazon uh, you know, responded to say, "No, this is nonsense. I hope you don't believe this story about about people having to urinate in bottles who work for Amazon." <laughs> Within a day or two, they had to retract it and admit, well, yes, okay, uh, some of our drivers do choose to <laughs> to use the bottle. I think it might be a bit, this Japanese one, it might be a bit moldy value. It sounds a bit pseudoscience to me, but it's a good idea that when you do sit down and think for a while, it, it's good to prompt you about really how tired you might be. However, mm. as most people often work on their iPhones in such situations, perhaps we need an app that tells how quickly and alert you are in working your iPhone compared to what you might normally do, that that might be a way of working out whether you're tired or not. I have a, a smartwatch that does this, David, so uh, quite often I'll be in work meetings and it will alert me that my stress levels seem high. <laughs> I take a break. So it's me trying not to choke somebody on the other end of a Zoom call. <laughs> Brian, uh, always fantastic to be able to discuss the key issues to do with transport. And this one of toilets in Japan, I think, is really right up there amongst them. Thank you for your time. And that's Brian Smith, who is a transport planner, but also one that takes a uh, rather broader view at uh, some of the developments that are happening in the world of motoring and transport. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Alan Zervis, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just, and the Overdrive team for their great help with this program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. For more information, you can go to drivenmedia.com.au or previous programs are available as podcasts on iTunes or Spotify or there's our Facebook site, Overdrive City. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>